to The Shift, where I'm here to help you adjust to the new. I'm your host, Jay Camille. As we carry on with our first season, I wanted to continue setting the scene for the young American dream. You know, the idea that we see on TV of leaving home to a new city or a new country, establishing a new community, going to a new college or starting a new career, and living the quote-unquote dream. Well, today we are going to continue on with discussing the shift that comes with adjusting to a new financial lifestyle. That's right, we're here to talk about the money. Joining us today is a fellow podcaster and finance coach, Gina Judge. Thanks for having me. So in terms of what I do, I currently work as a lending specialist. So I provide my clients with high level credit advice and I underwrite mortgage loan and line of credit applications. Uh, Like you mentioned, a passion project of mine is the fact that I did start a podcast recently. It's called the Millennial Money Guide. And with that, my goal is just to inspire millennials to take control of their finances. I think there's a lot that we don't know because it's not implemented into the school system. Financial literacy isn't taught. So my goal is to spread as much awareness as I can when it comes to finances. I love it. And I love that your podcast is like dedicated to millennials because honestly that goes right in hand with this season. The season is the young American dream. We have a lot of young adults, like you mentioned, who were not trained about this in high school, in college, from our families uh, for the most part. And so it's like, we don't know how to adjust to finances when we start our career and when we start our big girl and big girl job, big boy jobs. Um, So with that in mind, Where do you suggest one who's new to budgeting and finance planning, where do you suggest they start? There's multiple places that you can start. So obviously, because I work for a financial institution, I always recommend visiting the bank that you deal with and booking an appointment and just sitting down with someone. Reason being is they have the tools and resources that you need to make sound financial decisions. And at the end of the day, there's no judgment. I think one of the biggest reasons um, that we avoid going to our bank is just because we think that we're expected to know certain things. But walking into that appointment, just know that there's never any judgment. Um, If it's a matter of you learning how to budget, if it's a matter of you trying to get out of debt, how to manage your student loans, um, even to start investing, like that is definitely a good first step. Now, I know everyone's not necessarily comfortable with that, but the internet is a great place too. Like there's so many um, different websites, there's so many different podcasts that you can listen to. So depending on what your goals are and where you want to start, I would recommend going to your financial institution or just doing some research online. Nice. And I mean, those things that you mentioned going to financial institution, because most people have a debit card or some kind of card. So that's free. I mean, that's what they're there for. That's a part of their job. Uh, So definitely check out these free opportunities. And then I've also heard people mention apps and software such as like pocket guard or mint like do you have any preference towards either of those yeah i know that's a good point i actually recommend mint.com what mint does is let's say hypothetically you have more than one bank account you have more than one credit card what they're going to do is they're actually going to aggregate all the data from each of those accounts into one place and they'll actually create a budget for you so it definitely saves you a lot of time it's very organized and at the end of the day it'll help you build a budget that is specific to you and your needs. So med.com is definitely a good resource. Um, Another point that I typically make is, you know, if you have friends that are doing really good financially, like if they're in a strong place where they're already investing, ask them who they deal with. 
one thing or one comment that a lot of people make is that they think they need to keep all their eggs in one basket. Like you don't need to bank with one financial institution. You can have, um, you know, your investments with one bank and you can do your day-to-day -day banking with another. So that's a good um, point that I think that is important to make. That is a good point. And it's, it doesn't hurt. It's just like a doctor where perhaps you have a procedure and you go get an opinion and maybe you don't like what was stated. So you get a second opinion. Totally. Uh, yeah. It's no different than oh, having yeah. different uh, financial advisors or people to give you wisdom and advice on how to budget your exactly. finances. So with talking about a budget, so let's say someone starts, they start, you know, accounting, they start saving, uh, especially at a young age. And maybe they're like, Ooh, I want these shoes in two weeks, these Jordans that are about to come out or the latest Jimmy Choo's. Yeah. Um, or they're like, I'm getting ready for this trip, so I'm going to save up for that. That is what I see a lot of young adults do. But what happens when there's an emergency? Like, you know, it's a hospital bill and or it's a death in the family. Um, you know, how do you account for unexpected expenses in a budget? Do you suggest having an emergency fund? Why or for why For sure. Not? So I definitely recommend having an emergency savings. A good rule of thumb is that you want to have three to six months of income set aside in case there is an emergency. Now, if you're self-employed, we actually recommend having nine months of savings set aside. So when you're building a budget, it's so important that you incorporate that emergency savings. So before you start saving for those Jordans or those Jimmy Choo's or that vacation, your first priority should be to have that emergency savings set up. And when it comes to making a budget, to keep it simple, it's just a cash flow analysis. What you're doing is you're looking at how much income you have coming in each month and how much you have going out in terms of expenses. So what I typically recommend, and I actually talk about this in my first episode in terms of how to budget, is the best way to do it is to print out three months of bank account statements and really look at where you're spending. If your income fluctuates month to month, then you can kind of get an average. And then from there, at the end of the spreadsheet, for example, if you plug those figures into a spreadsheet or if you used mint.com, it would tell you if there's a surplus or if there's a deficit. If there's a deficit, it means you're spending more than you make, which means you need to cut back. And in that case, I always recommend looking at variable expenses. So variable expenses are things that fluctuate like entertainment, eating out, shopping. And then there's fixed expenses like your rent or your mortgage, your car payment, your student loans, those things you can't change, but you do have the ability to change where you're spending when it comes to your variable expenses. Um, so once you've done a budget, and if you don't have an emergency savings, that's definitely step one. I think that with this pandemic and COVID, it's really brought to light that so many people lack an emergency savings, and it can definitely affect your quality of life when you don't have one, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I'm how I mentioned to you, it just in us talking, I'm in Texas. And so Texas is a like COVID hotspot and I've seen it affect people tremendously. Mm -hmm. So definitely having an emergency fund is urgent. Yes. It's it's essential to have. Um, with that in mind though, how you talked about the variables, what are some small things you suggest one do to save money and create better spending habits? Yeah, I have a couple of tips. So I know that a lot of millennials are impulse purchasers, especially with Amazon and all these different, you know, 
e-commerce has become so huge now in this day and age. So what I typically recommend is tip number one should be if you're about to make an impulse purchase, don't pay, wait 24 hours. And if you're still thinking about making that purchase, then go ahead and do it. Um, number two is start couponing. There are so many apps online. Um, I think Honey is one and Retail Me Not. What it does is it takes a look at your search engine and anytime you're about to purchase something, these little coupons or discounts will pop up. So definitely take take advantage of that. Um, download apps. So for example, if you are a frequent Starbucks drinker, download the app because typically if you spend, you know, if you purchase five drinks, the sixth drink is free. So take advantage of those little things. Um, and at the end of the day, just be mindful of where you're spending your money. If you do a budget and you're in a position where there is a deficit, then I think that it's really important to dig deep and think about your money roadblocks. So with a money roadblock, um, there's so many different types of roadblocks. So for example, I'll talk about mine. When I was growing up, I was raised by a single mom and I didn't have luxuries growing up. So for me, once I did get a job, you know, and if I was stressed out, I would find that I would go shopping and it was very therapeutic for me. But once I started thinking about my roadblocks and where they were coming from before I would make a purchase, um, I guess I would just think about it twice. Um, so think about your money roadblocks. There's different types. Um, another roadblock that people tend to have is that they were given an allowance growing up and then the minute they turned 18 or 19, they no longer had that allowance. So that's typically a position where someone may end up in credit card debt. So if you are someone that is an impulse spender, um, you know, you might be in a position where you've built up credit card debt, really dig deep, try to figure out what your roadblocks are. And then maybe before you make your next purchase, you'll be more mindful of that. Ooh, I'm going to try that <laughs> for myself because I was with you on the retail therapy yeah. Uh, and much how you talked about, you know, your background, I, my very first job in high school was a retail store. So okay. it was hard for me not yeah. to buy things because I'm like, okay, I'm at work. I get this percentage off and Ooh, this is about to go on sale and I really want it. And you know, you just see it all the time. Um, and so definitely probably applying the 24 hour rule would save me a lot. <laughs> No, that's so true. And it's like being able to differentiate between what's a want and what's a need. Like, do you really need this? No, you likely just want it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, to me, it's also planning for like, let's say special occasions. So if I'm like, okay, I'm going to dedicate this one day of the year, like my birthday or something to getting this outfit of my choice, then that to me is a little bit more reasonable than every, every other weekend that okay I went to the mall this weekend and this weekend and oh I want these shoes and oh I want this full outfit and oh yeah. I want these three jeans that are on sale it's like okay do you really need all of that because chances are especially if you're working like in a professional realm you're not even wearing that every day exactly <laughs> no that's such a good point so you mentioned credit cards at one point and I remember when I was in college it was about my first or second week of school. And I mean, they just had all of these banks that were on campus and they're like, you sign up today, you get a free credit card, you get a free $500 and this and this. And, you know, they were always talking about helping students even as well with like student loans. And of course, every student wants to get through college for free uh, yeah. or with little stress as much as possible. But how important is it to have a credit, credit score 
And what do you suggest one does to start and build it? And then how often should they check their credit score? I know that's a loaded question. <laughs> no, those are good questions. So one, your credit score is so important. It ends up, it's one of the factors that determines the interest rate on a loan in the future. So I always tell people to think big. So when you're thinking big, think of a mortgage, think of a vehicle loan. So building your credit is key. It's something that a lender looks at to determine how you've paid and managed credit in the past. It's kind of it's like historical data, essentially. So one very important to start building credit in terms of when you want to start right when you turn 19. I think that's because like, I'm from Canada. At 19, you can start building credit in America, right? Is it 19? Okay, good. It's 18. Oh, 18. Wow. Okay. So right when you turn 18, get a credit card, get like a student card, um, but be mindful again of how much your spending. So build a budget because typically, again, financial literacy isn't taught in school. When a bank signs you up with a credit card, they don't usually sit you down and say, hey, you want to make sure you're making your minimum payment on time. Um, you want to make sure that you're not carrying a balance over 80% of the limit. These are all things that are very important. Um, so step one, when you get your credit card when you're 18 or 19, is to have a budget because realistically, you should not be spending more on that credit card than you like you should have the ability to pay off that balance at the end of the month because people get into trouble when they start carrying balances month to month. Um, and that's how credit card debt really builds up. So I know that you asked me, um, is credit important? Yes, it is because it can determine the interest rate that you have on a future loan and thinking big with a mortgage and two, start building your credit as soon as you can because length of time established is huge with your credit score as well so typically someone will ask me um you know if i'm consolidating debt for someone and we're paying out all these credit cards and they're ready to close a few i always recommend keeping the first one that you opened open and maybe closing a credit card that you recently got because length of time established affects your score and then thirdly in terms of pulling your credit and checking your score it's a good idea to have some sort of a credit monitoring app in place um, there's quite a few. I know even with some financial institutions, they have the ability for you to monitor your credit score. The reason that you want to do this is because if your identity was ever stolen, the only way that you would know is if you monitored your score and you saw a huge dip. So if you monitor your score and you're seeing dips month after month, you definitely want to question it and you want to go to your bank and figure out why that is. Especially if you've been making your payments on time, like there's no reason for there to be a dip. That's a huge reason. Um, and in terms of pulling your credit, you can probably pull your credit once to twice a year. A common myth that's in place is, oh, if I pull my credit, my score is going to drop drastically. That's not the case. The only time that a person should be wary about pulling their credit is if they already have a low score. And someone that has a low score either has collection items, it's likely someone that's fallen behind on payments, it may be someone that's carrying balances very close to the limit with multiple credit facilities. That makes a lot of sense. And that was a really, I love how you broke down every single uh, question that I asked you, because that was definitely something I wouldn't have known as well as when you went into like talking about the historical yeah. data attached to the credit cards and that if you're to close one, it's probably wise not to close your first one. I think that was really, really good. Um, and it's really essential for young adults to know because we're just like, okay, I'm gonna cut off a credit card. I'm gonna stop using a credit card and minimize my number from five to three or five to two, but we don't really think about how to exactly. do that. We just think 
I'm just going to cut off these three cards with no thought. And you know what? It's good that you make that point because when people do that, they often see a dip in their score and they're like, I don't get it. Like I paid off my credit cards. I closed these cards. Why is my score lowering? It's because you closed the card that you had open the longest. That makes sense. So with keeping credit in mind, uh, most millennials typically start out renting. Mm -hmm. They rent an apartment, a townhome, a condo. Um, but at what point do you suggest one stop renting and buy a home? As soon as possible. I think even when you're renting, again, it goes back to the basics, having that budget in place and implementing your savings into that budget. So if your goal is to be a homeowner and you're renting, you should still be putting money aside every single month to ensure that you have enough saved when you're ready to place a down payment on a future property. And the biggest thing that you want to ask yourself is one, am I doing this alone? Am I doing this with like a sibling or a partner? Two, what is the purchase price going to be? So where do I see myself? Where do I foresee myself living? Do I foresee myself living in a condo? Okay, see myself living in a condo. How much am I going to spend in purchasing that condo? Because generally speaking, um, you want to have 20% saved for a down payment. So once you've asked yourself those questions and you've narrowed down exactly how much you want, you need to have saved, then you can put a plan in place to have that amount saved. Um, and to take it a step further, it's not a matter of just putting that money aside into like a regular high interest savings account. You actually want to look at investment options, especially if your time horizon is longer than three years, because that's going to accelerate the growth of your savings. And it's going to ensure that you have enough saved when you're ready to stop renting and make that purchase. Well, that just brings me to my next question. And I love that you mentioned it. <laughs> Investing because that's a hot topic right now. I mean, I see so many people that are now um, Forex traders, or even if they're not, everyone's talking about Robinhood or the different like apps for the stocks. At what point do you think someone should start investing? And I mean, that could include anything from 401k, stocks, foreign exchange, um, and then why should yeah. that? That's a good question. I think that you should start saving or sorry, investing the minute you have your emergency savings set up. So rule number one is never start investing if you don't have an emergency savings. Reason being is let's use this pandemic as an example. If I had all this money invested and I didn't have any emergency savings, well, the first thing I'm going to do is dip into my investments. But when COVID happened, the market actually started going downwards and people, the market value of people's portfolios dropped substantially. So for someone that had no emergency savings, they would have had to tap into their investments and incur a loss. So rule number one, have that emergency savings. Once you have that, definitely start investing. And there, like you mentioned, there's so many different ways for you to start. If you have, um, an employee plan, there's typically a way for you to maximize your contribution. So let's say if you put $50 into the plan bi-weekly, your employer will match that. So you can start by taking advantage of that. Secondly, um, for someone that has very minimal investment experience, I recommend going to your institution because when it comes to investing, you definitely want to do your research and be well educated on the decisions that you're making. So you could start with your financial institution, you could look at mutual funds, um, you could do your research online, read some books, um, you could look at investing through Robinhood. There's like so many different um, applications online where you can go through like an online brokerage, but I would definitely recommend doing your research because I do see a lot of millennials making mis 
mistakes where they want to get rich very fast, but that's not the case. When you think about investments, it should always be a long-term savings plan, not a get quick rich type of scheme. Absolutely. I agree. And even I love that you talked about, you know, looking into uh, financial advising with your employer or seeing what they match. That was something I'm so grateful I did when I first started working. Uh, the company that I started with, they gave new hires a 90 day time window to meet with a financial planner and an advisor to just, you know, see what the company offers to see the different matching options. And to me, that's something I believe every millennial working in uh, corporate America should, should start right away. Like, don't sit on that. Don't say, okay, well, I'll look into that later. I'll talk it with a financial advisor at one point or another. And I think it's because we don't know like yeah. what to ask that we yeah. never do it. And myself included, like when I was, set up my first meeting with a financial advisor. I'm like, I don't even know what to talk about. I don't know yeah. what to say. And I, you know, like you mentioned, I started doing my research. So between that week or week and a half that I had leading up to my meeting, I was like, okay, we're just going to do our research on these different topics. And, you know, I'm at least going to come to the play with something. So I brought my budget. I brought, you know, how much I make. I brought, if I had any, you know, debt or school stuff, those yeah. kinds of things are good to, bring to the table, talk about, get it all out, and then, you know, talk about a plan moving forward. Um, sure. I absolutely agree. Yeah, so, and just to add to that, I, again, like, when you're sitting down with your financial planner or advisor, these people are professionals. They're going to know what questions to ask you, and I love that you did your research, you brought in your budget, because the recommendations that they give you upon sitting down with you are going to be that much more accurate if they have real numbers and figures to work with. And even with saving up for retirement, like people think that they have to start saving in like their mid thirties or forties. That's not the case. You know, right when you start working, if you can start putting money aside for retirement, even better. I think that um, a lot of people don't think about the quality of life that they plan to live when um, they retire. Like, so that's definitely something you should think about. And it's never too early to start that now. Like, do you want to travel? Do you want to be able to provide for your grandchildren? Like, what do you want to do when you retire? Um, so yeah, take, take advantage of those plans. Um, for example, in Canada, they say that 50% of Canadians aren't even on pace to have enough save for retirement. And I think that speaks volumes um, and it, it can be a little bit worrisome. So it's definitely important to have those conversations and to also take advantage of tax advantaged accounts like an R, like a retirement savings plan or a tax-free savings account as well. Well, thank you, Gina. Uh, Lastly, because I ask every guest this, yeah. what would be three tips or walkaway pieces of advice that you'd give to a listener adjusting to a new financial lifestyle to get from hearing this podcast? And I know that like you've been giving so many tips all along the way. I've been taking some notes for myself, but yeah. what would be your three wrap up tips that you'd want anyone getting this episode to get? Okay, I guess it would be number one, be vulnerable, be extremely vulnerable with yourself and think about your money roadblocks and have that conversation with yourself anytime you feel like you're in a financial bind, because it's going to help you overcome that. And I think that once you're consciously able to understand where your money roadblocks are coming from, you can um, work on removing those barriers. 
Number two would be to start investing sooner than later, or at least put a plan in place to get to a point where you can start investing. Um, I recently read an article that said, yes, millennials are saving, but a lot of them aren't investing because they don't know where to start. And it's totally fine if you don't know where to start. Maybe put a plan in place where you read a book about investing, or maybe by the end of your, the week, you'll watch a YouTube series on how to start investing and what different mechanisms that you can use. So definitely look into that. And then step three um, or tip number three would be to start building your credit and being mindful of how you're spending and where you're spending when you're utilizing your credit card. Because I do very often see the mistake um, with millennials when I pull their credit that their score isn't necessarily always the greatest. Um, and it's often because their carrying balance is close to the limit, at which point I would recommend, again, going back to step one and building a budget. Um, and also downloading some sort of a third party app to monitor your score, because once you see what your score is um, and you can tell that it's not in a good place, it's going to cause you or it's going to it's going to make you want to take action. Awesome. Well, thank you, Gina Judge, for giving us tips on how to navigate through the shift of adjusting to a new financial lifestyle. That's all from me. I'm Jay Camille. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.